Section 61 of Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The World's Story, Volume 8, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 61. The Fall of Queen Caroline Matilda, 1772, by G. Hesekiel, from the memoirs of Baron Simulin. Christian VII was so feeble in mind that it was an easy matter for his wife, Queen Caroline Matilda, daughter of George II of England, and his minister of state, Count Struensee, to get full control into their own hands. Struensee brought about many needful reforms, but more rapidly than they were acceptable to the country. Moreover, his skeptical opinions aroused the clergy against him. With the aid of the Queen Dowager, Juliana Maria, he was arrested, accused of conspiracy against the King and other crimes, and executed. A few days later, Queen Caroline Matilda left Denmark forever. The Editor It was almost midnight when the English minister left the palace with his ladies, furious at knowing that the Christiansborg was entirely in the hands of the Queen's declared enemies. He was more than ever certain that a plot existed, and that the denouement was close at hand, and he told Rhaenyra that he would see Count Falkenschold about it the next day. She entered fully into his feelings of uneasiness, but neither of them had the least idea that that very night the threatening clouds would burst into an overwhelming storm. By two o'clock in the morning the ball was at an end, and by three all was silent in the fine state apartments of the Christiansborg. For about an hour an intense stillness reigned over the cold winter night, and then a sharp ear would have perceived the measured sound of horse-hoofs and a slight clinking of weapons. It was a squadron of the Zealand Dragoons, Colonel von Eichstätt's regiment, under command of Lieutenant Schloman, which silently and quietly took possession of every entrance to the palace, having received the strictest orders to let no one in or out. At the same time, by the light of a single candle, the leaders of the conspiracy assembled on the upper story of the Christiansborg in the bedroom of the widowed queen, Juliana Maria, the royal stepmother, wrapped in a fur mantle, with a mocking smile on her lips, was watching Count van Ratzau, who was in full uniform, and though wrapped in his military cloak, shivered, not from cold alone. His conscience spoke more loudly than ever, but it was too late to draw back. Prince Frederick, who looked both shy and stupid, sat staring straight before him. Colonel Kohler, his athletic form drawn up to his full height, tried to utter a few blustering words, but they stuck in his throat. Colonel von Eichstätt played the part of the dispassionate, business-like soldier. He had, indeed, no personal feeling against either the Queen or Struensee, and there is reason to believe that he was fully persuaded he was only doing his duty. It was curious to watch Goldberg, who was the soul of the conspiracy. Both before and afterwards he appeared a man of little influence but at this moment he had thrown off his hypocritical garb and took the place of leader, giving his commands with energy, triumph already sparkling in his eyes. There was something of the Puritan about the man. No one ever found out with him where hypocrisy ended and conviction began. He threw out some words about God's victory over Belial, and it was said that he murmured a prayer before they separated. And now the conspirators are descending the stairs, lighted by a former valet, Jessup who carried a lamp, stepping carefully and avoiding the least sound, slipping one behind the other through the broad passages and dark corridors to the apartments of the king. 
They first entered the bedroom belonging to the king's body servant, Brigel, and waking him, ordered him to lead them to the king. The man tremblingly obeyed, but they found the antechamber, contrary to the usual custom, locked. The conspirators hesitated, but Goldberg ordered Brigel to lead them round to the small door, and the ghostly procession put itself again in motion. Brigel went in front, then came Goldberg, carrying a candle in each hand, followed by the Queen Mother, Prince Frederick, Count Ratzau, Eichstadt, and Kohler. Jessen, either from fear or prudence, had left them. "'What do you want? Who are you?' screamed the king, waking suddenly as the conspirators entered his room. Count Ransau had undertaken to speak to the king, who always looked on him as his best friend, but he stood unable to utter a word. Kohler seized him by the shoulders and pushed him violently forward, and at length he stammered out in a hoarse voice, "'Sire, your majesty's mother and brother are here, in presence of Eichstätt, Kohler, Goldberg, and myself, to save you and the country.' The widowed queen repeated Ransau's words, and so did Prince Frederick, while the king, almost fainting, looked around him with a wild, terrified expression. "'Give me some water,' he gasped at length, and when he had drunk some, he added, "'Ransau said that Eichstätt is here. Let him speak.' Eichstätt then came forward and repeated Ransau's words, but added, "'The people are an insurrection, for the queen and Strensi have conspired against your majesty.' As soon as Christian VII heard the name of his beloved queen, he declared Eichstätt was a liar, and that he did not believe him. But the queen mother and Goldberg talked to him till they had entirely confused his weak brain, and at length he was persuaded to put his signature to two orders, which they had already prepared. The first appointed Eichstätt to the post of General Commandant of Copenhagen, and the second empowered Eichstätt and Kohler to take any measures they thought needful to save the king and the country. Prince Frederick witnessed the king's signature, and Eichstätt and Kohler then left. The king was made to get up and was dressed by Brigel, and accompanied by the queen mother, the prince, Ransau and Goldberg, was taken to Prince Frederick's apartment. Here he was forced to write the following letter to his wife, Queen Caroline Matilda. As you have not been willing to follow good advice, it is not my fault if I am obliged to have you escorted to Kronberg. Armed with this ill-written missive, the Grand Chamberlain, Count Ransau, hurried to the queen's apartment to carry out his jailer's office. The unfortunate king then signed mechanically and listlessly a number of warrants laid before him by Goldberg, and containing the names of Count Strunzi, Count Brandt, Councillor Strunzi, Lieutenant Strunzi, Colonel von Falkenschold, Commandant of Copenhagen, Major General Good, General von Galler and his wife, Lieutenant Colonel von Hasselberg, Baron von Bülow, one of the equerries, Rear Admiral Hansen, Councillor Villahand, and other less distinguished people. Meantime, Eichstätt, at the head of a squadron of dragoons, had visited all the guardhouses, and showing the king's signature, had announced his own appointment as Commandant of Copenhagen. He strengthened the guard of the palace and closed all the gates. Whilst this was going on, Colonel von Kohler, followed by Captain von Milleville and Lieutenants von Eiben and Frank, and accompanied by twelve soldiers, went to the rooms occupied by Strunzi in the entresol of the palace. Before entering, Kohler said to the officers, Give me your word of honor, gentlemen, that you will shoot the scoundrel on the spot if he resists and tries to escape. The officers promised on their word of honor, but they had no need to use their weapons against Strunzi, for the ruined minister made no attempt to defend himself. After a few confused words, he obeyed Kohler's order to get up and threw on a few clothes and a fur mantle. He tried to hide a small case in his pocket, but Kohler tore it from him. It was found, on examination, to contain poisoned pills. 
after his imperfect toilet strunzi seemed to recover a little courage and presence of mind he drew himself up appealed to his position as minister and protested against this act of violence but Kohler, placing the point of his sword against his breast threatened to run him through at once if he opposed the king's warrant strunzi attempted no further resistance he tried in vain to recover his composure but terror overmastered him unconsciously he allowed them to bind his hands and feet and in this condition the man who but yesterday was the all-powerful minister was conveyed to a closed carriage escorted by a strong guard of cavalry and taken to the citadel my god what is my offence were the only words he uttered at the same time the other arrests were carried out without exciting any attention only count ennevold brandt opposed his captors with all the energy of despair and continuing to do so after he was disarmed they secured him with cords almost at that very moment that the unhappy strunzi tied hand and foot was carried down the grand staircase of the palace count rantzau followed by the three lieutenants beek oldenborg and bug entered the antechamber of queen caroline matilda great beads of perspiration stood on his forehead from anguish and the three young officers chosen by collar to attend him watched him contemptuously as he knocked at the locked door of the queen's bedroom queen matilda awoke and could be heard calling her attendants rantzau trembled as he heard her voice and his fear was more creditable than the courage shown by the three lieutenants what is the matter they heard the queen exclaim and the same question was repeated in a tone of anger at last the attendants told her that count rantzau and three officers were in the antechamber and demanded entrance in the king's name caroline matilda sprang up and threw a dressing-gown round her run and fetch count strunzi she said to her women they have just carried him out of the palace with his hands and feet bound answered one of them betrayed lost shrieked the queen aloud rantzau knocked again let the traitors in commanded queen caroline matilda regaining her self-possession the folding doors were thrown open and count rantzau stood in the presence of his queen she advanced towards him what is your desire Rantzau made a deep bow and asked pardon for the intrusion, but he came by his majesty's command. He then read aloud the note, which we have already seen, and handed it to the queen. She glanced over it and threw it contemptuously on the ground, setting her foot upon it. This only shows your treachery and the king's weakness, she exclaimed with flashing eyes. Rantzau, angry at the contemptuous way in which the queen treated him, said menacingly that she had to submit to the king's commands the king answered caroline matilda proudly knows nothing of this command which has been extorted from his weak mind by the most shameless treachery i demand obedience i the queen my orders permit no delay thundered count rantzau giving free vent to his anger to conceal his uneasiness till i have seen the king i will obey no orders let me speak to the king i insist on it said the queen with determination at the same time she made a step towards the door rantzau threw himself in her way i will use force he said threateningly laying his hand on his sword wretch screamed the queen angrily is that the language of a servant to his sovereign go you are the most despicable of men may shame and scorn rest on you forever stand aside i am not afraid of you trembling with rage the incensed nobleman stepped back and gave the officers a sign lieutenant oldenborg laid hands on the queen but she thrust him aside and rushed through a side door on to the corridor screaming aloud for help no one heard her her women shrieked the unhappy queen sprang onto a balustrade and tried to throw herself through the window lieutenant beek caught her round the waist and drew her back she struggled with him and with all the strength of despair she dragged him by the hair to the ground oldenborg came to the help of his comrade but she defended herself from him 
and thus this poor young creature this unhappy queen struggled half naked with these ruffians until she sank at length senseless to the ground whilst her women lifted the miserable princess on to her bed and used means to restore her to consciousness minister count von der osten entered the room this wily diplomatist had not joined the conspiracy though he was well aware of its existence and now that it was successful he hastened to obey rantzell's summons who had in despair sent for him the quiet and graceful remonstrances of count von der osten soothed and subdued the queen and she agreed to obey and start at once for kronborg she begged to take her children with her but it was easy for the cunning diplomatist to prove to the queen that she might endanger her son's right of succession if she took him with her and thus give her enemies a great advantage the poor mother yielded with a sigh and consented to start with the baby princess only whom she was still nursing count von der osten was perfectly aware that he was doing the conspirators the greatest service by persuading the queen to leave for kronborg for as long as caroline matilda remained at copenhagen their success must be doubtful and he took care later to demand his reward from the new powers for coming to their aid at this critical moment the queen was dressed a lady-in-waiting mademoiselle von mosting was summoned and two coaches were brought round to the inner courtyard of the palace as she descended the staircase count rantzau offered her his arm away with you traitor i loathe you exclaimed the queen turning deadly pale he stepped back and is said never to have known a peaceful moment from that hour till his death everywhere he saw the flaming eyes of the sovereign whom he had betrayed in the first coach major von kastenschold of the zealand dragoons took the place opposite the queen with his sword drawn showing her by this manner the most marked respect in the second coach was little princess louisa augusta with her nurse and thus guarded by a strong squadron of dragoons caroline matilda was hurried away from her capital to the gloomy fortress of kronberg it was about eight o'clock in the morning when they started as yet no one in copenhagen knew what had happened but the rolling of carriages through the streets at that early hour the prisoners were each taken to the citadel in a separate carriage and the passing to and fro of the cavalry escorts had attracted attention the more so as the conspirators for some little time had thrown out dark hints of a plot against the life of the king it was nine o'clock before sir robert learned the events of the previous night through a faithful servant of the queen's household who had managed to escape when all the rest of her servants as well as those of baron strunzi had been arrested he sought refuge with the english minister sir robert who knew nothing of the queen's departure hurried off at once with his secretary and a servant to the palace he found the streets full of anxious groups discussing with the greatest excitement the events of the night the full details of which were gradually becoming known and loudly cheering for christian the seventh some few voices were raised for the widowed queen and prince frederick and everywhere the hatred of strunzi and the foreigners was most apparent the english minister could not gain admittance to the palace but he learned there the departure of the queen he hurried to rantzau to ostin everywhere he was refused admission no one cared to face the representative of the english court in constantly increasing crowds the people of copenhagen streamed towards the christiansborg about ten o'clock the king led by his brother appeared on a balcony he waved his handkerchief to the people which was the signal for a mighty shout at this the poor silly king was so delighted that he joined in and at the top of his voice shouted hurrah for christian the seventh her motherly feelings deeply touched the terrible princess of wolfenbuttel in morning dress stood at a window looking out on the crowds and rejoicing at the success of her wicked schemes
End of section 61. This recording is in the public domain.